I bought a farm. I bought a farm. This is. Oh, you bought a farm. I've. <laughs> I did buy a farm. We've kind of been talking about this for a while, so I'm excited to actually sit at the podcast table and and start this thing officially. And just so like everybody knows, this this is part of still like the Hunter brand and the the Hunter company itself. Um, and we we often talk about things related to land ownership and and purchasing property on Hunter. Um, but this is our opportunity to. Um, kind of rabbit hole down. I think some of the more intricate details of buying a farm, land ownership, um, you know, probably some land management, deer management aspects around that too. But things that, you know, maybe somebody who's just interested in deer hunting and stuff isn't going to be held, uh, hold their attention for 45 minutes on when we start talking about lending processes or inspections or insurance or whatever it might be. So this, this I Bought a Farm podcast is really going to be dedicated to, you know, taking people through some of our personal journeys <clears throat> and buying land and, and selling land and looking for land. And then also, um, I think our desire to find people that are smarter than us and a lot of these real detailed facets. Or at least more experienced. More experienced, yeah, that can, can help us along become better landowners, land investors, um, and be better prepared for what that actually means you know, once the, the ink is dry on paper, especially. Yeah. And so like a disclaimer is like, if you've been keeping up with us on the Hunter podcast up until this point, there's going to be some overlap in conversations probably. Sure. And uh, maybe you already know where Jeremy and I are coming from, mm -hmm. uh, like on, on the properties that we hunt or, or potentially that, that we own or are pursuing. Um, that's going to come up again, obviously. Yep. And uh, so, but like Jeremy said, I think this is an opportunity for us to, to, to really iron out the details of uh, where we're coming from in those backgrounds, uh, what our goals are uh, individually and, and potentially together. Yep. Um, whether it be for, you know, a place of re residence, uh, a general recreational property, a hunting specific property, uh, an investment property, or a combination of all combination. of the above. Yeah, and I think it'll be really important <clears throat> to understand that we even though we're doing this podcast together, each of us has different goals um, that we're looking to either accomplish with properties that we have and or with properties we're hopefully going to have in the near future. And that could be because, you know, I've got um, a property that I live on right now that has land. Um, you don't. So you may be looking for that permanent residence with land. I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think because of that, and also the fact that you know, we're almost 10 years apart in age. Um, and I've got two kids, you don't have kids. There's some really cool compare and contrast here that I think listeners should be able to get into and say, well, I'm more like Jared in that, yeah. you know, I don't have kids. <laughs> I don't have those dependents that I have to worry about. So my wife and I can be creative and do this, or I'm single and I can do this. I've heard that on Instagram several times where they're like, it's just me, man. Like, how do I do it myself? <laughs> yeah. And that's cool. Um, but I, I hope that, that makes us unique in kind of the d discussions that we're going to have because we're coming at it from two different points of view and then tap into the guest aspect of it. And it's a lot more than that. Yeah. Well, dude, why don't we, why don't we kind of start there? Like, I think we're kind of an open book in this is to say like, Hey, we're not yep. uh, necessarily the authority by any means to say, this is how you need to go about this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, although I think we both hope to get there yeah. um, <laughs> it ultimately is, is what we're looking for. Um, we're kind of, like you said, at different stages, uh, of land ownership of, of land management. And I think we both got to this place 
kind of at the same time, which yes. has worked out really cool for both of us, but in maybe slightly different ways. Like you said, what are you, 36? 37. 37? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I'm 28. I'll be 29 yep. in, in March. And so, like you said, 10-year t- age difference. And, yep. and you've been running uh, Stone Road Media, mm-hmm. you know, a successful digital, digital marketing agency for eight years now, mm-hmm. eight, nine years. Yep. And I worked for you right out yep. of college. Um, and so I've, I've been with you kind of all through that process. Um, but in the midst of that, my wife and I bought uh, her family business, mm-hmm. um, an ice cream shop in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, so Jeremy's been generous enough to kind of let me go and, and, and do that thing. And that's become uh, my wife and I's primary source of, of income, our livelihood. And, and you're still running Stone Road. And we've got some cool things in the works, too, that will come up uh, well, and I think in it's a few in, episodes here. So It's important, too, when you, you look at that for your situation and mine is, um, you know, and I hit on this in social the other day, is, is multiple revenue streams. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're starting to look at, at land ownership and being able to purchase property, sure, if, if you make a... a enormous or great salary yourself and you don't have a family or you and your wife both make great salaries, like you can probably do it, but like there's still life to kind of go on in terms of, you know, your primary residence, just cost of living vacations. Like you don't want to just completely suppress your other enjoyments in life. And so the, the thing that we, I think have come together kind of cool in the same time frame is we, we have a primary uh, revenue source, you know, from a day job uh, but we also have other revenue sources that are either in place or we're putting in place right now that will help contribute to call it disposable income that we're able to use for buying farms or buying land or doing what we want with it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really, in it, you know, point that you're continuing as we involve this podcast, especially you're going to continue to hear us talk about multiple revenue streams and how we aren't relying on, well, how am I going to pay my mortgage, you know, my gas, food for the table, whatever, all from my main job and then buy a farm with it. Yeah. It can be done. It's just a lot more difficult that way. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know if, if land is necessarily a lot of uh, people's like knee jerk reaction to say like, hey, I've got some additional income here right. that, um, you know, I want to invest or I want to do something with like, you know, at some point when you're working at a, a primary income for, you know, X period of time where you've got some, some money accruing in the bank, you know, you have to ask yourself, like, what should I do with this? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it obviously doesn't make sense to just let it sit here um, and, and do nothing. Um, right. You know, you, you want to invest that in some way, shape or form. And um, so a lot of people are familiar with like paper investments or mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you could list yeah, I mean, paper any number inv- of investments, but yeah, and paper investments are a really good one. You know, one of the things, and we'll get into some of the the specific details down the road here. But um, one of the properties I own in Kentucky, I had actually um, pulled money out of my um, IRA that I contributed to the IRA. So you can't pull the money that it made, right? That that would then be taxed if I pulled that out um, at a high income rate. But I can pull out the contributions that I put into that IRA because it was already post-tax money and I pulled that out and I used it to be a good chunk of my down payment on this Kentucky place. And the reason was I had uh, at least indications that I thought that the stock market was unstable. So that's your paper funds. Uh, the other thing is, and, and Dan Perez was the guy who really told us this, is that you, know, you can will all you want. You personally are probably not going to affect the stock market. And that's something I think that's really started to sit home more with me and I think you as well in that 
you know, we work really hard um, at all facets of, of revenue, whether it's our personal primary job or some of these side businesses. And ultimately to invest that in a place where I frankly have zero control of its success or failure is not how I'm programmed. Um, whether as a piece of land, a tangible product in my hands, you know, I feel confident in a appreciation of the market as well as just being able to manage and improve the land that I, I feel like it's a much better investment in many cases. Yeah, dude, I, I love the way Dan put it too. He's like, man, it's it's the real thing. It's just, this is like God made land. It's a it's a very it's it's a, a totally unique, mm-hmm. uh, very limited you know resource at this point. That's uh, you know as we'll find out. I think a great investment, a safe one, a great way for us to um, in some cases uh, avoid certain types of, of tax that's coming mm-hmm. from our, our primary income and stuff. And so while we're early in the, in the road here, I think maybe you a little further along than mine, mm-hmm. uh, we're both because of these different pressures, you know, the instability in paper investments, uh, the wanting to have recreational land to, to invest something. in and ultimately yeah. make a profit from, uh, and for the tax benefits in the meantime, you know, we're, we're both kind of on this track for the pursuit of land ownership yep. and, um, that's well, what this podcast is all about. Yeah, and I'll give a little background on my side um, in terms of the land investments I have. I technically, including my primary residence, I've got three pieces of land, right? I've got my primary residence in Pennsylvania on 28 acres, um, and I purchased that in 2016. Uh, and one thing, kind of to just break that up a little bit, um, and I think you're good with it too, like we're going to be pretty transparent here on uh, numbers and, and what we're paying and interest rates and the calculations. Cause one thing that I think as we get deeper into some of these specific examples in future podcasts, like I, I've got a spreadsheet that I work out like significant numbers on prior to making an offer or, or even going to look at the property in some cases. So I, I lay that as a disclaimer, as you kind of hear these things. So I've got Pennsylvania primary house, uh, 28 acres I bought in 2016. Um, and I bought that uh, just so that we can kind of break up some of the ideas. I bought that direct from a um, sell by owner. Uh, and we used a real estate attorney in that case, no agents involved. Um, second place I bought in 2019, I bought a cabin on 75 acres in Kentucky. Um, and I bought that through a dual agency, uh, represented a dual agency. And then as of last week, I just closed on a place in Southern Ohio, Meigs County, 130-acre farm that does have a couple structures on it. We can get into that at some point. Um, but that was also through a dual agency with a basically a land real estate company. So those are the three pieces of, of kind of collateral that I've got on the table. Um, and at some point, we'll get into the, the discussion. But all three of those I have for different reasons, really. Which I guess four, because you own this building as well. <laughs> hey, yeah. That's right. I get Well, here's where it goes back. Like, I don't think about this as being land maybe an unintentional uh yes but very solid commercial investment it is commercial investment on three acres giant building i forget what this thing is like eleven thousand square feet or something um so yeah this is my fourth piece of it and um (laughs) that for anybody that's wondering essentially is a storage facility (laughs) like all a couple thousand square feet of it we have the podcast and a podcast and jeremy's office is is right over there right over there um, but yeah, so, so yes, I have four pieces of real estate that I currently own, um, three through the personal side and then in one commercial via the business. So, and, and again, yeah, all four of them are for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, um, I say that because I don't want to be like, oh, well look at my net worth and my assets here. It's that, um, 
you know, when I... Yeah, you're also in a ton of debt, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and, and for here, good reason. Yeah, for good reason. Here's in, and I know some people probably listen to this. If they are financially minded, I wouldn't say that if I wasn't also. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I I, uh, I am a big uh, supporter of Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey has some great philosophies. He's an extremely smart businessman. The one thing that Dave and I completely disagree on is that um, Dave is very much a I'm a debt free guy, right? I don't want to have any debt. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have any of this. Uh, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, that would be great, but you also can't necessarily uh, attain wealth uh, and assets without debt. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to go out there and pay $350,000 cash for land. You need a mortgage to do that, and then you need to have payments behind it. So Dave's philosophy is very much geared to the individual person or couple who wants to have a primary place of residence, their cars, no credit card debt, and be debt-free. Which makes sense. Yeah. In terms of what we're talking about here is even if you are only buying a piece of property to hunt, like you just want a cool hunting piece of ground, that is a stepstone towards wealth. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, uh, it is an investment. Whether you plan on selling it or not, that's exactly what it is. And so there's two different pathways here. And I don't want people to get confused with that because uh, one pathway is I just want to own my primary home and cars and be debt free. The other pathway is I want to continue to build assets and you and I are on that pathway. Mm-hmm. That's, that is the way that we're going. And I think that's how a lot of people should be thinking. Yeah, ultimately we want to build wealth and benefit from the recreational benefits. Yes. You know, uh, those investments offer us in the meantime, there's kind, no, of, kind of a double whammy. There's no better <laughs> comparison to say, if I invest a hundred thousand dollars into paper investments, I can sit there and I can watch it go up and down and have zero control, zero touch on this piece of paper. That is my money floating in, stock market space. On the other hand, I can invest that $100,000 in a piece of recreational land of which I can manage, I can make better, and I also can enjoy until the time that I'm ready to sell it and become a liquid asset. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the mindset that you and I have really come to adopt here probably in the last few years. And uh, I, I doubt we'll get to it today, but um, with, with the right guess, I assume we'll probably break down some of the specific advantages and disadvantages of uh, land investments, yep. you know, versus certainly paper investments mm-hmm. is, is the biggest one, but, but there's other ones as well, you know, like a, a, a business, a business would be investment. another investment. Yep. Um, and so you can really start to understand, um, you know, if you have money to make an investment with, uh, or you're looking to borrow money to make an investment with the pros and cons of each one of those and, and why land ultimately is shaping up to be one that is going to work for us. Yeah. And I, I think that neither you or I are also <clears throat> saying like pull all your money out of the stock market and put it all in land. Definitely like, not. Diversification and investments is still extremely well, whether you're talking about business, land, and or paper. Um, but what we are saying is that the ability of you have revenue coming in and you're saving, like it, here's where it comes down to. For the longest time, everybody said, oh, have a savings account, put it in savings, put yeah, it in savings, put it in savings, right? I mean, we were raised that way. The fact is, is you put it in savings, you make pennies on the thousands of dollars. Yeah. Well, you know what? you know, I, I've known about it for a while, but what recently really has prompted a lot of people to start thinking about this is inflation rates. Yep. And you're like, so you're telling me that if I, if my cash money that I've earned and I've saved and it's been sitting in the saving account, it's worth less today than it was potentially, um, yeah. five years, you know, ago, a couple years of ago. years ago, even though the amount is growing. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I will be the first to say that I don't have a savings account. Yeah. I don't have one. I have a checking account. I have no savings account. My, uh, yeah, and, and it's always smart to have some kind of a, a capital reserve. You, you need sure. to have, you know, you need to have um, 
a plan B. Yeah, you and know? I and I say that lightly because I do carry a, a lot of money compared to most people in my checking. Yeah. Versus moving it to savings and moving back and forth. I just don't do it. I have it in checking. That's where it lives. And then I've got my investments off of that. So basically, you just want to have liquid assets available in any case it. of emergency. That's exactly it. So I think when you, people start to think about land ownership, right? Number one, the first thing you've got to do is evaluate your current situation. Like if you're sitting there and you're a single dude at 25 years old well, and, here, I'm and a, you're let renting. Me, let me talk about mine here. All right, So you, you own four pieces of ground, one yep. one commercial, one primary residence, two, two recreational slash investment yep. pieces of ground. Yep. And you're 37. Yep. So I own a primary residence that my wife and I bought uh, in October of 2020. Yep. That was our first home. Yep, um, so a little over a year. So we're living in the first home that, you know, she and I purchased together. Uh, I think it was immediately after that we purchased our first business, which I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Uh, was it the March? No, it was March of 2020. Yeah, so you bought the business, business and then, then we the bought house. the residence. Yep. <clears throat> which created some unique issues because mm-hmm. I was in a ton of debt when I went to buy a house. Yep. Um, but it was good debt, and I have, yep. you know, P&L statements to, to prove that that's worthwhile. Sure. And uh, so we own the primary residence on three quarter of an acre, mm-hmm. just, you know, a couple, couple bedroom house uh, that works well for our living, working mm-hmm. situation. I can get back and forth from the podcast to, to working on our uh, primary business there. Uh, and then our, you know, we own a small lot with a building on it in Pittsburgh that we mm-hmm. run our business out of. Um, and so from those two points, um, you know, we've been able to generate uh, enough revenue to get our money, our initial down payment, uh, on the business back, back. in this. Uh, and is that treated, is, is <coughs> yours kind of like this is, is it you have building lot and then you have business. So you really have two kind of, I know they're one and the same. Unfortunately, I, I didn't know better. Uh, in the beginning, in hindsight, I would have set those up separately. I would have purchased, um, I would have purchased the, the land mm-hmm. um, and potentially the building. I know I probably would have yeah, I probably would have purchased the building and the land under one like LLC. Like a holding company. I would have yeah. purchased, you know, the business. So essentially the, the goodwill, the equipment, um, you know, these things that come with a business uh, under another. Mm-hmm. And so that creates benefits of me being able to um, expense one or the other. Mm-hmm. Kind of me some freedom there. still. But ultimately it's taxed as an S-corp. So I, I pay for anything at, yeah. at the end of the day. Um, the biggest thing with that is liability. Mm-hmm. And so if we were... Um, to get sued on either yep. one of these fronts, I can protect one from the other. Yep. Unfortunately, at this point, to, to do that, I'd have to pay a transfer tax. Yeah. And it's like one or one and a half percent of the total mm-hmm. sale of that, it, that it, asset. And I want to highlight this because <clears throat> although this a lot of this back and forth, what we just talked about, seems indirect to um, the land ownership. It's very much in Huge. tandem with it. And especially when we start talking about taxes and depreciation, the one thing that we're going to really try to strive for is guests that are are way more experienced in that realm than Jared and I are, uh, because frankly we we're still trying to learn. We're hungry for that knowledge because it's very applicable to how we run our daily businesses that eventually could lead to more land sales. Yep. And so, because I was able to recoup that initial investment in the business in this past year, mm-hmm. uh, rather than you know putting that money back into a savings account or back into uh, paper investments, w- which we have. Um, I'm looking for, you know, like we said, something that's maybe a little more reliable, something that I can influence, Mm -hmm. um, something we can enjoy in Mm -hmm. the meantime. And so, you know, speaking of all these variables that are helping us make decisions, um, my parents own a a substantial chunk of ground in, in Ohio. And, uh, you probably heard me bitch about it 
up and down on you know on the hunter podcast and it's not that i'm ungrateful at all it's an amazing piece and ultimately um you, you know i expect to inherit that from my parents and so i want we're going to continue to do everything we can to invest in that and that property is changing i mean that the, you've got solar coming into play yeah. and and you know doesn't mean that it can't be something better than it is but it just you well, know. it definitely can. No, there's there's definitely big improvements to be made. A lot of the conversations that we've been having, especially recently, like with guys like Jeff Sturgis and, um, you know, Craig and some of these guys, it's like there are a lot of things that we can do to influence. And I, it can just take a – it can make a big decision. It can take a big, mm-hmm. you know, effort to get some of these things done. But once they're done, you know, ultimately you can, you can benefit from them. And Yeah. So where we're at with this point is where I'm saying instead of – uh, putting it into paper investments or leaving it in a saving account. Um, you know, Marge and I are looking at uh, investing in a, mm-hmm. I'd love to find a hundred, 150 acre uh, piece of ground in Western Pennsylvania, ideally Washington County, something close to my house between uh, where we live and where my parents' farm is at. And uh, essentially my, my reason for, for wanting to, a lot of guys will say, well, dude, why, why don't you, you're so close to Ohio. Why don't you just buy another piece of ground out there? Um, I feel stable and not, like, and I should be transparent about my pursuit of this land, at least mm-hmm. now first as an investment, you know, I need, I need that to work out. It needs to financially yep. make sense. I want to kill big deer off of, you know, whichever property I'm Which looking to is buy an here. underlying benefit that, you know, we're going to continue to hammer home here. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I look at my family situation in, uh, Ohio, even, even though it's not, I'm not guaranteed to kill a big deer off that property uh, every year, as you'll hear from mm-hmm. a lot of these podcasts we've done. Um, there's some relationships with with foresters and other good friends of mine. You know, I've, I've, I've secured enough access over there that I think you I got can, places I, to hunt. I think I've got options, and yeah. so it, to me, it just almost doesn't make sense to to keep going on Ohio so hard when you only Agreed. get one tag. Yep. Um, I'd rather buy somewhere closer to home that's accessible that both Margie and I can get to like in an hour. Um, and so I have a tag in each state now. So there that's kind of my approach. That makes sense, man. And I, I think that, um, you know, ultimately y- you always evaluate a piece of property for the investment and the potential of what you're paying now and what you think it'll be in three, five years, whenever you're, if it is an investment place when you're real and well in the sell it, but like the property has to check the boxes for what you want. Mm-hmm. Right. There, there's no, I hear a lot of people say, oh, the market's so crazy. Like I saw this property come up. It wasn't what I was exactly looking for. So I just bought it and like, I'll, I'll figure it out. It's like, no, like, why would you do that? Um, you know, if it's not checking the boxes, like, yeah, if you hesitate in this market, especially, you're probably going to miss it. But if it's not checking all the boxes, like you're not going to force a lot of those boxes to be checked down the road. Um, and that's something that you and I've talked about a lot because like when we start thinking about neighborhood areas or where we're buying and stuff like the more information we can find, especially from a deer hunting pers- uh, perspective, the better so that we can at least say, Hey, it's possible to grow mature bucks in this area, right? If everybody around you is hunting and the, the oldest buck on camera is three years old, like, yeah, it could be a super three-year-old, but you haven't seen one that ever got older than that, that, that could change, but maybe it's 10 years or 15 years down the line. Yeah. So I, I think as you start to look at that, I hear a lot of people kind of, well, it, like it was the right area. It just wasn't what I was looking for, but like, it's hard to pass up. You can pass those up. The, this market isn't going to continue to be like it is forever. You're going to have ebb and flows just like we've always had. And so I think as you start to really uh, say, okay, I'm ready to buy a property, you need to form your own checklist. And, and one of those is what can I afford? 
Um, but it also should be like, you know, what are you looking for? Uh, timber, deer hunting, you know, uh, should, does it need to have a structure on it? Does it need to have a habitable structure on it? Like there's a lot of things down the list that by the time you finish that and you look at it, it will narrow down the ones that are right for you. I think one, one really important thing that like, I, you know, I've started to realize here is like at one time I would have said to, I'll buy any property that I can afford. That's amazing. Hunting. We've talked about it. And I think <laughs> even in the past year, I, I've kind of come around on that a little bit more to say like the, the utility of a property, which is essentially the, the activity that you, that you hope to enjoy there or be able to do there. Um, whether it's, uh, whatever, whether, whether it's a, ret- a retreat place for, for you to take friends and family, if you, you want to hunt it, you know, you want to fish on a pond, what, whatever you're planning on doing there, your, your utility, it, it's a, it's secondary to whether this property is a good investment or not. And you need mm-hmm. to look at the things that uh, will bring income into this property or that you can, mm-hmm. um, you know, fin- financially benefit from it, whether it's a timber sale or if you're going to lease it mm-hmm. uh, for X, Y, Z, a uh, number of things. Uh, ultimately, if the utility doesn't work out, as long as you've made it a priority that it's a good investment piece of property, this can be remedied mm-hmm. via sale at some point or, you know, work that you want to put into it to get it there. Well, and I think that's where this thing, um, you know, as we really start getting into a bunch of different examples and bringing in guests. Which your Ohio farm is a great example yep. of that. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's it's one that, you know, check most of the boxes. Well, so yeah. So put that in real terms. So like literally what I'm saying there is like, we don't know. We don't. We think it's a pretty good piece of hunting ground. but I have no idea. But we don't know. And it's definitely not a 10 out of 10 if you look at a Midwestern state or. No. Yeah. Know, it's not Kansas. It's not Iowa. It's not that but, you know, I think you got it for a very fair price. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the timber value is, is there for you to be able to make Location money Location from primary residence to there and having a place to stay once I get there. There's potential for, you know, some laws to change that would significantly increase the the rate mm-hmm. at which you're able to sell that. And so I think you're really safe as far as yeah, an investment and, on that and standpoint. And the plan was three to five years. Yep. Right? So even if it's not uh, a nine out of ten for, for deer hunting, in three to five years, the plan is to have improved it to try to make it as best as it can because it, it is fairly raw right now. Yep. And then sell it and buy bigger or buy better. Yep. And were you talking about um, re- different revenue streams on that property on Instagram the other day? Uh, yeah. So I was talking about that one in that. Um, so I've got two structures on that. Uh, one is an old farmhouse that the tenant, I, I come to find out, has been renting for 33 years. Uh, and it's low rent, right? T- Teletubby? Gummy bear. Gummy bear. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, so there's, that takes, it's about 20% of my mortgage cool. that she'll pay every month. And then there's a uh, cabin or cinder block structure that they use for a cabin. That's pretty nice. That has a lot of potential to just go in and like, you know, add a few grand and refinishes and like it, it's ready to roll. It's essentially a hunter's cabin, kind of? Yeah, but it's bigger. I mean, it's a big cinder block structure. It's got a bathroom, full bathroom, kitchen. Um, all the appliances are there, multiple rooms. Um, yeah, so that's where I'll stay when is I it, get there. Is it rentable also? Uh, it could be, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think you would probably, you'd probably like Airbnb it or something for like hunting season. But I mean, that's going to be my place. So okay. I won't. Uh, at some point, if that tenant leaves, then I could fix that up and try to rent or do an Airbnb or something. But that cabin will be, uh, eventually I'm going to survey that house out and leave the cabin in the 129 acres essentially together. And so whoever would buy from me will have a remodeled cabin to go with that 129 acres. So there's part of the investment that I'll make, but should return. Yep. 
The other part will be to segment that house and an acre out and eventually sell that individually. Um, but there's timber on that um, that has a good opportunity to to bring back. There is a chance to, to cut hay off of it, but like we were talking earlier, I'm probably just going to let them do it as a favorable type of keep my neighbors, you know, favorable to me. Um, and that's kind of the big stuff. I mean, that's that's really it. Other than that, it's for deer hunting. Um, so lease, timber, hay. Yep. <laughs> Yep, and that's the and and the way that I looked at it was number one is I got it at a good price for the area. In fact, it was probably lower than most of the properties I saw on a per acre basis. But that's because nobody really wanted the house too, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, I I can see how to make money on that. Um, so when I look at it from that angle, uh, then it's like, okay, what's my security backing? Well, there was more mature timber on that property than I initially spe- uh, expected. Um, and I didn't need to harvest anything right away, but I could, if I wanted to now in 10 years, it'll be prime. So what I have the opportunity to do is potentially selectively harvest some out, which frankly will just help the deer habitat anyways. And then still, when I resell it in three, five, seven years, whenever the best is yet to come on timber harvest. And that, so when you start to look at, and, and what I say by securities is I always try to go in it as a worst case scenario. Like if I get into a bind, like what's the worst case I can do? I could go and cut a ton of timber off of that and probably have plenty of money to sustain me for three to five years on mortgage payments. I don't want to do that, but that's my security worst case scenario. Same with that house. I could carve that house out tomorrow and I put it on the market and sell it. Clear cut it and pay for the whole thing in cash. Probably. <laughs> Yeah. And so there's, there's a lot of different things there. I could do a hunting lease on it. We've seen what hunting leases are. Not that I would want to, but I mean, somebody would probably pay 30 bucks an acre to go hunt that place. Well, dude, and with a cabin, it could be 40 bucks an acre. I don't know. Speaking of the things that brought us to this point, let alone the financial advantages, like, uh, you know, all these things, dude, it was a big part of what's, what's really driven us down. The pursuit of land ownership has been the leasing, mm-hmm. uh, and just the, the negative, yeah, the negative experience. We've been there. We've done it. We've had there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, access is declining. Um, we still hunt plenty of public, but we we wanted to hunt private. We wanted to hunt unpressured deer, and we wanted to have control over what happened on that property. So we but, went to leasing. That was the next logical step. We, we wanted to be able to have a hand in the conservation of these properties, you yep. know. And public just doesn't offer that to us, and, and leasing doesn't either because it's. We've learned that leasing doesn't. It, yeah, it's just a. And it's expensive. I mean, so, uh, again, we're going to be very transparent on this. Jared and I, um, in 2021, uh, leased uh, a property up towards your farm in Ohio. It's actually two properties, but it it ended up being almost 400 acres. Um, And we paid over $10,000 to lease that, uh, those two parcels. Um, It was a complete disappointment. (laughs) Well, in and, terms of the hunting. And I want to point this out, too. I, I think that leasing does make sense if you're doing it through a business. Because um, businesses sure. can get write-offs. To a point. To a point. Yeah. Yeah, to a point. Like, if it's... Um, the problem is, is that most leases that come up for advertising are not worth it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what fact. we're finding. That's a fact. Well, yes. Yeah. Th- yeah. Like, you, I, I, I still think you can go and get leases sure. for a great value if you have people skills if you're willing to make calls yep. they are out there we've gotten a handful we've, of them. yes yeah uh, but but to go through um you know any kind services of, any kind of a service that's con- consolidating them that realizes the value of them um th- they are great for the the seller in most cases although you know property that should have two or three people they'll say have seven or ten guys on yeah it. um but for the hunter 
it, you're going to have a really tough time feeling like you're getting your money's worth. Well, and that's the conversation that, that when I, cause I had not planned on buying in Ohio, um, early last year. Like it was like, Oh cool. Let's lease all these places. Let's hunt all these places. Let's take that one at 10 grand, you know, sure. That's a long way off from a down payment, 20% on a, on a conventional loan. But like ultimately I could lease that same place for four or five years in a row, spend 50 grand. And yes, I get an expense right off if it's a business, but ultimately I don't have any equity to show for it. Um, and I don't know when it, it hit me. I think I was in, I own my first place. That's probably your age. So I think I bought my first house in 2012. So yeah, 10 years ago. So I was your age. Bought my first house, right? Used the, I used an FHA loan. So I only had to put like 5% down or something like that. Anyways, as the first experience not running something. And at some point I had a conversation with somebody who was a lot smarter than I was in, in financing. And I had student loans from college. And I also owned a 2012 F-150, so a pretty new F-150. <clears throat> and the person said, well, you know, who are you financing through? At that time, it was Ford. And they were like, well, why don't you finance through, uh, I think it was State Farm. I was like, I didn't even know State Farm did auto loans. They're like, oh, yeah, they do, and they do a better rate. So I call up State Farm, and they're like, well, how much do you want to refinance your truck for? I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, do you want to refinance it for what you owe or do you want to refinance the value of the truck based on Kelly Blue Book? And I was like, well, I didn't even know you could do that. I was like, why would I? They're like, well, do you have any other debt outstanding? I was like, well, I got student loans. They're like, how much? I don't know. It was like 15 grand at the time. They're like, well, why don't you just refinance your truck for six years at this rate, low interest rate. We'll give you a check for the balance based on what's due you pay off your student loans and then all you have left is your truck payment. And in six years that's done. Whereas if anybody has student loans, they aren't done in six years. Right. And all of a sudden it was like, holy shit. Like I get it. Yeah. And like from that point forward, I've always looked at, you know, investments as an asset and equity. So yes, there's debt or yes, there's interest rate, but compared to the alternatives, um, there's a big value that can start to add up really quick for people. So I think everybody kind of has that aha moment. And like, if you're sitting here listening to this and saying, and there's a time and place for leasing, like we said, hundred percent. Yeah. If it's yeah. a business lease and if you need that write off in some cases that that can work out great. Or if you, I you still have leases. Yeah. If you really see benefit in paying for the flexibility to up and leave, like that's, that's what you're paying for. Yeah. I um, mean, it, it, two examples is in Kentucky, where I have 75 acres. I lease the 200 acres adjoining my property now. Mm -hmm. I, I have sole access to hunt it. I don't own it. Um, I want to at some point, but I basically said, Hey, uh, can I lease this? And they agreed. And so now I've expanded my 75 to 275 and it's the same deer that I've been hunting. It's just now I can actually go across the line where they actually go. And so there, there are plenty of situations where leasing is good. It's just that if you're looking at what you're going to get after four, five, six years of leasing, versus maybe you struggle in the places that you hunt, or maybe it's a little harder for the first four, five, six years. But what you come out, if you save it and you're ready for an investment, is the potential to buy something. And there, there's nothing like land ownership at all. Like there, people will say, well, you know, I'd rather hunt public land. We've had this discussion on Hunter. Um, you might enjoy it. You haven't experienced land ownership. I don't even care if you own a quote, like bad deer hunting piece of land. It's still your property. It's a different feeling. 
Yeah, it's freedom, dude. That's American dream. The ability to to own and, and invest in a piece of ground that you own is just uh, gives you satisfaction that nothing else I've experienced uh, can. Yeah. And it's not all good. You're gonna have trespassers. You're gonna yeah. have things go wrong. Frustrations for sure. You know, but but ultimately, what you do have at that point is you have an asset. Um, and this world functions on assets. Um, the, the richest people in the world aren't sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars in cash. They're paper. Rich. They're leveraging lots of assets th- that they may be in a lot of debt because of. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, our society going back to the piggy bank of savings has, has been kind of brainwashed to think, well, no, I got to save it. I got to save every penny. I have to put it in the savings account. No, you want assets. Assets lead to wealth. It leads to debt as well, but eventually that debt goes away and your assets keep appreciating. And if you go into the wrong investments, that's not always the case. They both can turn down. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you're looking at something secure. There is no more secure investment in this country than land. Well, and dude, how cool is it or how lucky are we that like one of the best, most secure investments that you can make directly aligns with the thing that we love to do, which I, is to hunt white. Tigers. I don't know when that, uh, you and I both probably had that aho moment around the same time. It was like, wait a minute, we just want to hunt big deer and like land ownership is the way to do it. And it was like, they just came together. I think at that moment, we both said, <laughs> are you thinking what I'm thinking? You gonna do karate in the garage? <laughs> oh man. Oh, that was great. But yeah, it, it is. And it, if you think about how, um, how you treat that. I mean, if the last two years of this pandemic and stuff hasn't taught us anything but this, it's that life's too short, right? There are, uh, I watched a documentary on this not too long ago. There are hundreds of thousands of Americans who will put hard-earned money away every day of their life into a 401k and never make it to 62 to use it. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't get utilized. It definitely helps take care of their family that they leave behind and stuff. But can you imagine saving your entire life and thinking, man, next week when I retire, I'm going to go out, I'm going to enjoy life, and then you die? Yeah. It, it's crazy. And why we have been brainwashed to think, let's just save, 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 save until retirement and enjoy the last few years of our life versus why don't I enjoy my entire life? Mm-hmm. That's a scary thought. Um, and I'm not saying to go beyond your means. I'm not saying, like, if you're sitting here saying, well, yeah, that 500 acres just came up for sale. I'm going to go buy it. If you can't afford it, you can't buy it. But at the same time, if you look at the opportunities that exist in front of you to say, well, if if I buy this right now, we can do hunting, we can hike, we can do whatever you want to do on an outdoor enjoyment basis. Why not? Why not enjoy that now? Why wait till you're 62? Can't, you may not be able to hike those hills at 62. It's, it's a weird feeling, and I think people have started to snap out of it, and that's why you see this kind of bigger rush on the land side. Um, but ultimately, there's still plenty of people, uh, well-renowned resources that are saying, no, 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 you need to put that in your 401k and, and be ready for retirement. I mean, think of all the television commercials that are on, retirement this, retirement that. And it's like, well, no, like I want to enjoy life now. I feel bad for so many people that, spent their whole life working their butts off, you know, to save money that maybe at the end of it, because of inflation, uh, you know, because of unforeseen expenditures, was worth way less than maybe Mm -hmm. they they would have hoped that it could be. 
Um, and, and they've lost that time, like the most valuable thing. Can't put can't put a price on that. And, I mean, and that that's what's got you and I thinking, like, dude, I, I don't I don't want to wait until I'm 62 to start no. to enjoy some of this stuff. Nor do I want to be frivolous with my time that's now. Um, you know, and some people will. What am I a gen? I'm a Z. No, no, I'm above that. X. No, other way. Millennial. I'm a, so I'm a millennial. Are you? Yeah, barely. You are. Yeah, by a so we're like you hair. know millennials and like the mm-hmm. Gen Zians, and a lot of people say, well, they just they just don't want to work, and in some cases that is I get true. It. But um, I think I like to think we're somewhere in the middle of like, dude, I I want to work hard, and I want that work to produce income, and I want that income to be immediately reinvested in things mm-hmm. that help me enjoy life now, not when I turn sixty two. But here, let me go high level on you here for a second, because this is this is something you and I have been starting to to learn about this more and more. <clears throat> You know, one of the, the stats on this millennial era is like, is it like 68% or, or something will never say they like never want to own a house. They like only want to rent because it's flexible and they don't have the responsibility, whatever. Cool. Uh, it's I, responsibility. They don't want responsibility. Why I like that for other millennials who do want that is that that means that the majority of land is owned by an older generation who eventually will drop that back into the sales pool. Mm-hmm. And those people who are only wanting the rent and never wanting the own are never going to pay attention to that asset. And meanwhile, there's going to be a few sharks in the millennial group like us that are sitting there saying, please drop that back in here. Sell it. It's coming quick too, man. I think like within the next five to eight years, we'll see a a really large surge in the supply of land available for sale. hundred percent. And while money might be slightly more expensive at that time, um, you know, there'll be ways for people who have have prepared for this um, to, to acquire to, to acquire it. I mean, one of my big things is I haven't, um, I've never bought a property, uh, through something besides like that first house through something that was not a conventional 20% down type loan. Mm -hmm. And what that's now put in a good place for me is equity. And so when the time is right, or when things come up, I now sit with multiple properties, including this building of equity that I'm sitting there waiting for to fall essentially into my lap, um, and use that equity as, as the collateral to purchase. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a lot of people think about this, because the hardest part for any, anything that we're talking about right now on land, the hardest part is the down payment. Um, when you're talking about raw land, you're going to need at least 20. In fact, I was on um, with Jake Coffer on the land podcast last week. Yeah. Um, Jake has just bought one of his first places in Illinois, cost him 30% down. So for the listeners, J- Jake's with um, Land Pros. Land Pros. Exodus, yep. right? He Exodus. Does, he does the crib, Whitetail Cribs. Yep. And he's got oh, the land. Maybe where you've seen Jake from. The Land Podcast is his cool. one of his new ventures, similar to what we're doing here on I Bought a Farm. Sweet. Um, and so, land, you know, Jake and I are back there talking, and, and I was talking about the Ohio place I just bought, and he said, yeah, man. He's like, I actually had to put 30% down. It's a substantial amount. I mean, even if you're thinking, like, uh, transparently the 130 acres I bought in Ohio cost me 370. Mm-hmm. So I put like, uh, what? 74,000 down. All of a sudden, can you imagine having to put another 37,000 down? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. Significant. I probably, if, if they would have came back to me and said, Hey, Jeremy, you need to put 30% down. I couldn't afford it. That's yeah. extra $37,000 in cash. Yeah. That's huge. Well, I mean, dude, that, that's the thing, uh, as we're getting down this road, you, you've bought two farms now I'm in pursuit of my first, uh, there is no right or wrong way to do it. There, there are a million different variations of like how you can go about this, how you can finance it, how you can insure it. 
um, every different aspect of this, understanding all the variables that uh, will offer a return on that property. And like the, the more you can educate yourself, and I think the more conversations we have with um, knowledgeable individuals on this podcast, we're going we're gonna to be soaking that information in. The more effective you can be about uh, purchasing land and making mm-hmm. smart, safe investments that we can enjoy. And that's kind of the whole point. Yeah, I, I think, um, first of all, I'm excited about this because we've, we've kind of teased this thing out for enough uh, weeks here now that you're starting to get people like directly writing in scenarios. Like here's my scenario. Um, and one of the things that I, I get worried about when I start reading some of these scenarios, not that I'm an expert in the field, but just from personal experience doing it is a lot of people are like, well, you know, I can afford this 40, but what if this 80 comes up? Um, and I, and I immediately sense the stretch of their means, mm-hmm. which especially if it's your first property, you don't want to put yourself in a financial stress situation. That's the worst kind of stress that exists. I don't care what people talk about out there. There's no worse stress than financial stress. Uh, it's a bad place to be. And so if you extend your means too far, uh, you're going to find yourself in financial stress and that property is not going to be enjoyable. And you're going to look at it as more of a liability than an asset. And you can't think of it that way. That's a great point. Um, what Bill Winkie's model, if, if anybody's listened to us on the Hunter side and has followed Bill Winkie in the past, Bill Winkie's model was always buy what you can afford in your means and then use that as a step stone. So Bill has bought 20 acre pieces. He's invested into them. He's made them better. And then he sold them. Now that profit's not huge because it's only 20 acres, but he's taken that money plus his original down payment. And now he's rolled into bigger or better. Yeah. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong on the timing of all of this, but like Bill didn't sell those as he went along. He built a big farm and the way he was able to finance that after the first initial pieces was through a business. Yep. And actually so that's one of the, the real important things is like, unless you have like a highly profitable farm that has crop leasing, you're leasing it for hunting, has mm-hmm. incredible timber on it. Like the chances are it's not going to be producing revenue, profit for you year after year. At some point it will break even. That's the point. Um, but you need some kind of a funding source uh, to be able to continue affording the monthly payments. Yeah. So here's a great point. <laughs> um, and it's because all of my property that I own is in piss poor farmland, right? So like I have some tillable on this new place. It's worth like 20 bucks an acre. Mm-hmm. Like why would I lease it out for 20 bucks an acre per year? That's insane. Anyways, the, um, the thing that I look at is when you're, when you're thinking about profitability on a property, right? And this is where most people get stuck in. I've got, um, my new Ohio farm, uh, payment is, let's call it 1900 bucks a month, something like that. Um, People immediately say, well, man, how would you ever make $1,900 a month on that property to be profitable, right? That's not profitability. The profitability is that $1,900 includes my premium and my interest. As long as I can cover my interest per month. Taxes and insurance. uh, Taxes are, I bought it as a business, so I don't have that in there. I pay those separately out of a different pot. But yes, in theory, those would all be in there too. Pity. Pity. Yeah. Um, but ultimately I've got, you've got all these things in your principal, right? Your principal is asset. You you're paying that on a monthly basis as part of your mortgage, but that's not, that's not something that you need to leverage against. Will I be profitable or not? Because that piece is building and crude equity into the property. Your interest rate is what you're trying to cover. So if I have of that $1,900, let's just say $350 in interest, my goal is to make $350. 
And if I can make $350, I essentially break even. Yes, interest and, and uh, or I'm sorry, insurance and taxes could be part of that. But so for instance, just real world scenario, and I'm, I'm throwing hypothetical numbers. Um, if I have $350 in interest, my tenant pays me 400. I'm profitable. That property is profitable as it sits. So when people look at that, cause I'll be say, I was guilty of it out of the gate. I'm looking at a property, you know, even when we're talking to a Dan Perez, who is like, this guy knows how to do this stuff. I'm thinking, Dan, how in the hell am I going to ever make two grand per month on a piece of property? Like I must be in like the richest farmland possible, yeah. but you're not, <laughs> you're not trying the, the to one thing cover that Dan, your mortgage. I, the one thing I think Dan forgot to mention or was modest enough not to mention is that he owns Whitetail properties. And so he has a revenue source <laughs> yes. in which he's able to, you know, yeah. continue making these monthly payments. That, that's the point I'm trying to get across. Yeah. And and so that's why, like, you still need to have a revenue source to pay that mortgage, mm. right? Well, and not to mention on the interest. So if we're talking about multiple revenue streams, uh, the interest on those loan payments is able to be written yep. off, deducted yep. Tax from deduction. any other revenue that you're bringing in. And what also I found is more Hence critical. one of the biggest tax benefits of land ownership. The other one, and I found is very much critical, and, and two examples here is this Ohio place where I have a house worth 60 and a cabin worth 20, and then my Kentucky place where my cabin's probably worth 215, 220. Depreciation. Depreciation. Yeah. And a lot of people walk into that and they say, well, I just bought this great piece of land and it's amazing. Um, and it's like, cool. Uh, like how, how are you gonna make it? Well, you know, I bought it as a business, so I'll depreciate this. I'm like, no, you won't. If there's no structure on it. You're not depreciating that land. You'll write off your, your interest, uh, and you'll write off taxes usually. Or if it comes with equipment. If there's equipment that's in the sale, but that personal, you know, right. real property. But if there's no structure on that, there are there is no depreciation. So like when I look at this place, like the house is small and it's old and, you know, somebody's using it and paying, which potentially makes me profitable. But ultimately, I still get depreciation on that house, mm-hmm. um, which helps me at, at tax time. So all of these things are what I think you and I hope we're going to really dive in deep on with the I Bought a Farm podcast and have the people who will educate us and hopefully educate the listener on this is the right way to do it. This is the wrong way. Here's multiple ways to do it, depending on your situation. Um, yeah. And we're trying to learn ourselves because this is this well, is our it. passion. This yeah. is what we want to do. It's not at all like a like a conductive or instructional mm-hmm. uh, way that we're going to approach it. Um, you know, we have some experience and we're coming from some background. Um, you know, but ultimately, we're, we're trying to learn this for ourselves. And like uh, we know, other people want to do the same, and so we're just trying to share our experience and um, you know, hopefully help some people along the way as we're, we're figuring this out. Yeah. And I think the bottom line that, that we are finding out, obviously, I mean, I've done it is like, it's possible. Um, if you get creative or you want it enough, it's possible. You're going to have to work for it. Um, but eventually when you get this ball rolling and I've, I've finally got mine moving now, like I can see the possibility of like, it wouldn't be optimistic or opportunistic to buy one next week because I just closed on one. But like I could see the ways that I could pull equity to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And once that ball's rolling, it's an exciting thing. And I think that's where Dan and Bill Winky and these guys have gotten Winky to on that. So breweries are the same way. Yeah, Winky gave us some great advice. He's like, if if you're not in the game, if you're not you know, at least buying your first piece of property, you're just sitting on the sidelines and you're forgetting how to play. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, I agree with that in advice. I think it's super important to, to get in, 
be smart enough to make a, a, mm-hmm. a smart investment in the beginning, even if it's a small one. Um, and then start to understand all of these different gray areas that we're talking about and figuring out how you can strategize per your situation. What's the best way to start to, to grow that. And I think one thing that we'll try to help with ourselves and hopefully in turn help you is build a plan. Um, and it doesn't mean that that plan has to be followed every year to a T, you know, my plan on this Ohio place was three to five years. You know, if by year five, the market's not right and I don't need to sell it, I hold on to it. And wait. And so, but having a plan, at least um, for me and probably for you too, is that I can put it in front of my spouse and say, hey, here's why I think this is a good investment. Um, and, and most of the time, Emily will say, well, yeah, I trust you, but I want her to at least understand, you no, know, like, this is why I think it's a good investment. Um, and I think that's really important because if you just go in and say, well, that's a great piece of property, I'm going to buy it. And you haven't done any math on it. You haven't done any numbers. You don't know when your end game is or what your end game is. You put yourself at least at risk. If you walk in with a plan, and it could be very vague even, you have some idea of what your goal is for that property besides, well, I'm going to hunt it. Yeah. Um, cool. How long? What Are you, you going to improve it? Are you going to put more expenses into it? What are those costs? Like Those things right. have to be thought out. And that's the, the safety of like a land investment, that as long as you, you know, execute it through a knowledgeable real estate agent who's not going to like, allow you to pay way over what the thing is worth or whatever as long as you don't go out of your way to like blatantly destroy this investment by whatever it is clear cutting it or doing something like that like ultimately you know land is a unique asset and it's a very limited resource and ultimately the value of that will catch up to any poor Mm -hmm. decisions or mistakes that you make in the beginning and so compare that to like a paper investment you're like hey i want to take this 50 grand i've got here and just try my hand at stock market yeah. You know, imagine the, the potential consequences feeling, of that. I, I've got not a lot, but I've got stock investments right now. We're, we're kind of coming out of that heyday and <laughs> well, I'm dude, looking I, at them every day and I'm just like, if I had more in there, I'd be really <laughs> upset. I'm still upset. And it's just because I can't do anything. I can't stop it. I, I looked at mine last night for the first time in like uh, four months and that was a mistake. I shouldn't have looked. <laughs> well, and, and, and the problem is, is that guys like us are not wired to have zero control of our hard earned money and effort. Like we're, we're wired to, okay, it's not right. Let's go make it right. We literally cannot make the stock market right. Like some guy in a fortune 500 company shits the bed and our stocks fall. There's nothing we can do about it. And, and again, kind of like the whole retirement thing, I'm looking at this thing and saying, okay, I get diversified funded, you know, funds and investment, but I, like, I can't well, do anything with that. And, like, and, why would I do that? Why? It's controversial, but like we can't, we're not in a position to, but there are people who influence the stock market and benefit from it. For sure. Obviously. Uh, I think you and I are in a better position, uh, you know, from, from our knowledge, from our, you know, willingness to put work in on it. Uh, to be able to improve land specifically with, um, you know, with, with hunting in mind is our, mm-hmm. our primary focus, uh, to be able to, to make improvements and ultimately benefit from those investments. So that's, that's yeah. what we've chosen. I think one of the things that will get interesting, because you and I are on the same page, but we kind of sit a little bit apart from it uh, in today's, uh, I guess, marketplace, is finding a deal, right? Th- I don't think there's anybody that listens to this that doesn't say, well, yeah, I want to find like a deal on property. And there's some people that will tell you that deals don't exist. I think they still do. Um, I think you and I are continuing to try to find those deals, but ultimately even like a bill said, like at some point you just got to get in the game, right. you know? And so you're looking for a deal, you're looking for a deal. And that's kind of what I felt with in the Ohio place. Like 
it was the right county for me if it was in the right area of the county, which it kind of is. Um, what were the neighbors like? Size of property? Like all of a sudden, it's like okay, like this, this, this could be it. And I, you know, I jumped. I went for it. And now I've got a three to five year plan to enjoy it, and then either keep it or sell it. Like mm-hmm. it's up to me. Um, but I think a lot of people are gonna go into this marketplace and say, well. No, I'm just going to wait for a deal. Uh, it's it's not like it used to be. There's still there still are deals out there, but it sure as hell isn't like it used to be finding a deal. People are just more educated. Yeah, well, every situation is. Di- I mean, even like you said, our situations are different. We're looking for different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, financially, maybe we're looking to approach them for, from a different standpoint. On top of that, like you've got kids and you've got you know maybe some more out of land than, than yeah. I need. My, my needs are very simple. Like give me a, a brushy thicket, you know, yeah. potentially with, with some kind of sources of income that yeah. can grow big deer and stuff. And so, so we're kind of looking at different pieces mm-hmm. as well. And because of our tag situation, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's, what's keeping me here in Western Pennsylvania, close to home and you maybe in more of a, a known big yeah. buck County. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when we start to look at that, that's a great point in terms of the different uh, types of aspects that we're looking for from a property you know, and then now I'm in a position where I've kind of laid roots in three states, right? Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Ohio. Um, and like, I want to expand in those areas, but I'd like to be as close to my core property as possible. So like with my neighbors who I lease, you know, um, they know that I'd like to buy that property. What will be interesting is, you know, is it traditional? Could I do a land contract with them? Like how, how are some of these ways that open me up to do a little bit more with my money. And, and part of that is, you know, I've recently engaged a financial advisor on my side, um, because I'm getting to the point where I don't, I don't know what the ins and outs are. I need somebody to tell me like, Hey, here's what I want to do. What's the best way for me to do this financially? Um, and so, you know, maybe with some of these investment properties, it's not as smart to blow a huge load of cash on the down payment as much as it is lines of credit, if you're going to flip it. Could you keep it straight? Yeah. Almost. Uh, <laughs> you blew it. <laughs> so close. Uh, yeah, that's fine. But, yeah, so, you, you know, do you take a line of credit? Because you're just going to pay, you're not going to pay anything on that principal. You just pay the interest. And then when you sell it in three to five years, you pay that line of credit off. And, yeah, you paid some money uh, on the interest. But that's a hell of a lot better than spending $80,000 in cash. Or so it seems. Yeah. I don't know. Like this, these are the conversations that hopefully we can have the right people on here to be like, "Hey, what do we do?" Yeah. Well, you and know? yeah, just dude, the things that we do are not going to be right for, for everybody either. But at least we can have the conversation, and you can make that assessment to say, "Well, my situation is kind of like this, but it's more like this." And so, you know, whether you can learn from our situations directly uh, from from the guests that we have on that have obviously a lot more experience in the specifics. Uh, of these different attributes of land management, ownership, Mm -hmm. financing, et cetera. Um, You know, hopefully you can take something away and, uh, you know, just just apply it somehow. That's it. Um, So that was kind of the gist of of EP1 here is we just wanted to kind of give a little bit more in-depth description of what this podcast is going to be. And I'm sure if if you guys have followed along with the Hunter side, you've kind of heard us talking about it. I'm sure you know what to expect, but... You know, I think on the next episode, we start to really dive into um, case-specific uh, type situations, things that, whether it's my Ohio place or things that you're looking at right now, 
Um, but then also probably starting to get into some of the education part from the right experts. Um, I would assume probably the biggest question comes up around lending. Um, and so that's probably one of the first guests that will get put into play here. Um, the, the one, and maybe we're not quite at the point to be able to, because <clears throat> some of these properties that you've purchased are, are recent and mm-hmm. obviously I'm looking. Uh, but the one I don't want to forget about um, is management. Um, I know we talk about it a lot in the Hunter podcast, but uh, you know that is literally the thing that when we talk about investing in a, in a piece of ground, mm-hmm. um, whether it's directly to grow bigger bucks, to, to improve the value of your investment, I think there's a, there's a whole scope of things that can be done there um, that you need to understand the template that you're working with, um, absorb information. Like f- for us, Jeff Sturgis has been a, a, a huge, huge influence man. to whether it's food plots or TSI or switchgrass or whatever it is that you're doing to invest in the piece of property. I think ultimately we're going to have some of those conversations as well. hundred so. percent. Well, and, and if, if the management aspect of it doesn't get you as much interested as it should, uh, those things are becoming increasingly more valuable to a property from a sales standpoint. In fact, one of the properties right up from the one I bought in Ohio, literally the first line was this property was visited by Jeff Sturgis in 2020 and given a full out plan and started to implement. Wow. Like literally in the description, there was another one. I think you and I looked at it like Washington County. Don Higgins has been on this property. <laughs> da, 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 da. And it's like, and cool for us that we have those resources to be like, Hey, what do you think? But it's because there is a lot of value put into those guys architecturally laying out these properties um, and so I think that you're right. As we get into those management discussions, as we get into guys like your buddy Jed on the forestry side, not only from a habitat standpoint, but from a, I, I think the thing that I know the least about is timber value. Well, dude, not only timber value, but a lot of those foresters and Jed's no exception is really hands-on with a lot of the state management plans. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to getting funding from the state that you, you can use to invest in your property. It's, it's free money to make your investment better. Yeah, and somebody like Jed is a huge deer hunter, which doesn't hurt. Yep. So I think those are the kind of guests, and, and again, it's not to say that we don't touch on some of these things on the hunter side, but the Abata Farm podcast is really to drill down into this land ownership portal itself. Um, and our personal experiences, the guests that provide the information to help continue to build our knowledge base as well as yours, and then at some point, really hearing the feedback from you guys, I think, to, to start to talk about some of these scenarios that, that people are experiencing. Um, yeah, and that's kind of the basics of it. It's going to be fun, man. It'd be a cool journey. You know, things can change so quickly. Yeah. You know, the right property can come up. You know, certain things can happen. Uh, but, but we certainly have a journey ahead of us uh, with, with this podcast. And it'll, it'll be in tandem with, with the Hunter podcast, obviously. I think we plan on doing these like every two weeks yep. is our plan. And we, we do, you know, Hunter podcast every, every week. week. Yep. Um, and so hopefully you guys will enjoy a, a consistent flow of content. And, you know, we certainly have no shortage of topics to, to talk about. This is, this is what we love. And uh, cool, yeah. that, cool that we get to spend our time doing it. Yeah. Coincidentally, I bought a farm last week. Yes, he did. <laughs> so, well, we appreciate everyone listening to episode one of I Bought a Farm. Jared and I are really excited to to take you on this journey over the, I don't know, 100. Foreseeable future. Foreseeable future. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how many of these will be. It seems like a never-ending rabbit hole of things to learn and things to do better on. So, um, tune in every couple weeks to these new I Bought a Farm podcast on uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to the Hunter podcast at. And we will see you on the next one. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the I Bought a Farm podcast, make sure you check it out every other Thursday night 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and any other place that you might find your favorite podcast.